the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. We're in season seven, where we're writing the consumer health playbook and answering the questions, who will design it, what will it look like, and how long will it take? So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the revolution of thought that's already happening in pockets across the industry. But if it's still so painful to schedule, visit, and pay for seeing the doctor, should that experience be the main focus of healthcare? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I share some provocative thinking about what could happen if hospitals don't ultimately change course. We dig deep into what we predict hospital-based care looks like in two to three years if they keep going along this unsustainable trajectory. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. We're standing at the precipice of a revolution in the healthcare system. You might say it's happening already. Some people just don't know where to look, and some would prefer not to see it at all. It's happening in small pockets on teams that you may not know about yet. If you close your eyes and plug your ears, you can probably get away with pretending that it isn't happening. You can probably just ignore it and go back to trying to solve the same problems using the same methods that got us into this mess. But just because it isn't sensationalized enough to steal headlines doesn't mean it isn't happening. I'm referring to a revolution of thought that will become a revolution of action. And we want to start by getting on the same page. Or maybe we should settle for being even in the same book. And what book would that be? The Consumer Health Playbook. And it starts by asking the right questions such as, If it's still so painful to schedule, visit, and pay for seeing the doctor, should that experience really be the center of healthcare? Or can we look favorably on the advances of big tech and the entries of big retail and consumer brands and ask ourselves, doesn't today's healthcare landscape offer better choices for consumers to ultimately live healthier lives? Does the answer always have to be, go see a doctor? So what's the revolution? It's people designing and building a version of healthcare from the consumer's perspective. A version that's consumer first, not just addressing consumerism, which kind of sounds like a disease, not a cure. I'm very aware that a lot of people don't want the system to change. They're incentivized to keep the status quo. They're fully satisfied letting all of the middlemen take their pound of flesh and pass the cost and inconvenience burden onto the consumer. That's how they make money. Sometimes we forget that consumers are real people with real expressed and unexpressed needs and families and limited funds. It's sure easier to look at them as data points in a spreadsheet. What's the revolution? It's a possible answer to the unsustainable trajectory that hospitals and health systems are on. How can hospitals keep doing business the same way when they're dealing with perilous staffing and funding shortages? Answer, they can't. 
According to the CDC, less than 10% of people in the U.S. have an overnight hospital stay, which has led Paul Sablowski to comment that the healthcare industry continues to focus on a relatively small segment of the population while largely ignoring more than 90%. Now, he isn't suggesting that 90% will require care, but he asked us to imagine the impact on community health if these systems looked upstream and developed highly effective early detection and prevention systems. Imagine that at scale. What's the revolution? It's a commitment and promise from those of us who want to be part of the solution that we will put our collective wisdom, insights, experience, and curiosity to use to build something better. It can almost feel counterintuitive to the ethos of a hospital provider insurance centric model, but it doesn't have to be. It can work right alongside if leaders see how to align their incentives with what consumers actually need. Snow melts at the edges. I love this visualization that Victor Rice described in our 200th episode. Transforming healthcare isn't going to come from the inside out. It will come at the edges, from the outside in. We as a society won't be experiencing healthcare in the same way for long. I don't have all the answers. No single person or entity does. But we have a community that's asking the right questions. And I don't know of a better way to push the revolution forward. Come be a part of the Consumer First Health Group and see how you can be part of this revolution of thought. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. The flow, the flow, the flow. Once again, I'm here with Zane Ismail, the one and only. Zane, how have you been? Good, not bad. I mean, I'm there. It's a sunny day today in Detroit, which is nice to get some sun in the summer up here, or sorry, the winter up here. So settling into the new digs there sounds like. Uh, yeah. Is there yeah. anything uh, anything particularly awesome in your life you've come across recently? You know, I bought myself one of those Roombas, the robot vacuum. And I need to give a shout out to my grandmother who gave me 500 bucks towards it. It's quite a bit more than 500, but it has been like the best investment ever made. I don't know if you have one, Jerry, but this thing, so I have hardwood floors where I live and this thing picks up everything. And so it like maps out your whole place. You can set it, it's controlled by an app on your phone. You can tell it to just go and vacuum the kitchen or vacuum the bathroom and it's perfect. And then I bought the one that empties into like a larger hopper. And so I barely have to worry about emptying it. And so it's just really cool. I like gadgets and I don't know, like it saves me time, like literally, like I don't, I don't ever worry about you know, vacuuming the floor. They do mop from time to time, but it keeps all the dust off and you just wouldn't believe what's like on your floors. And so for fun, I'll just do this thing like every other day or sometimes every day and just see it go around and it's cool. I named it David. So I have a buddy um, who actually owns a cleaning company. Mr. Made actually over in Windsor, Ontario. And so I named it after him. If the Roomba wasn't doing it and I wasn't doing it, I'd probably hire his company to come and clean my floor. So definitely get a Roomba if you're looking for that. And especially if you're young and single and don't have a whole lot of time, get one. I'm going to say that that same advice applies to everybody. It's pretty life-changing. Yeah. And for us, it was just the beginning of the home gadget purchases. So you have one. We do. We have one. And uh, we consider it a member of the family. He has his chores to do every day. He's got to get it done. Lately, he's either suffering a little bit of memory loss. He gets almost back to home. And then he's like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go all the way home. He's like two feet away. He's like, nah, I'm good. Oh no. You can buy the one. So mine is the fancy one that also integrates with the, the mopping one. And so if you buy both, they can kind of work in tandem, which I think that's too extreme for me now. Maybe next 
I mean, two years, I'll upgrade to that setup. <laughs> nice. Just so cool. We have proliferated uh, smart plugs as well all over the house Ooh. now. So lamps, and they integrate with our Echo Dots, which are in every room. We have an Echo Show in the kitchen. And I'm trying not to say it too loud or it's going to activate and ask me what I want right now. There's like one on my desk. It's yeah. nuts. So we can just say like light on, lamp on in certain rooms. And like I said, I think this all started with our Roomba when we're like, wait, we can have like more gadgets and autonomy in the house and, uh, you know, first world problems. But hey, I say really? if, if, it, if it's there and available and easy, we've already got everything set yeah. up. You can control and, it from an app. Why not? And it really does save time. And I mean, all these things, like you kind of learn what needs to come up on the floor. You just modify things so that, you know, it doesn't get stuck. And I love it. I, I'm going to have one for the rest of my life, for sure. Totally. I think that's that's a great advice. Yeah, get one. And <laughs> we need them to be a sponsor. Here we are pumping products on the, on the podcast. All right. If anyone has a contact at a Roomba, and if not, you know, we can, we can get that going ourselves. Well, I'll tell you what, let's dig in here a little bit on our topic. This is going to be a little interesting one because this is in a way headline based, but it, this is more like predictive. I feel like what, what we see happening if certain things don't happen. So we're going to talk about today about what happens if hospitals don't change. Ooh, and a lot, yeah, a lot of times we've talked about how hospitals are on an unsustainable trajectory. Mm-hmm. And for me, the the quote that kind of set that up in the last, was a few months ago by Aaron Martin out at Providence. And uh, this is how he said it. He said, as an industry, we're on an unsustainable trajectory. Poor customer experience is still the norm, not the exception. There are more manual processes than I've ever seen in any industry. And there are significant barriers to data liquidity. We're using technology that in the case of EMRs is encumbered by old core technology and massive technical debt. It's driving away patients who are used to far more digital convenience in the rest of their lives and burning out clinicians that care for them. So for me, I just think like there's a lot of pieces to this. Yes, technology is driving some of the the unsustainability, I guess. I don't even know if that's the word, but the unsustainable part of what he was describing of if hospitals stay the same, then we're going to have a problem even more. It's just going to get magnified. It's just going to get worse. And so we want to explore kind of in the the near long-term future, I'd say two to three years from now, if we just kind of take that as our window in terms of what could happen if hospitals keep staying the same. And I think we're addressing it from two sides in particular. As usual, we're talking about digital transformation and consumer transformation. They're very related. As I've said before, as I, as I believe more and more with every day, with every week, it's that digital transformation has had to happen. It's the means, not an end. It's not a destination. All things in healthcare are not solved once we get to a certain level of uh, competency and superiority with digital health and how health systems operate using digital tools. But we have, like, we're not even close to that yet. So it's going to be a long time before we even get to the point where we're like, hey, are we there? Are we done digitally transforming? But this is the stuff that had to happen. It's the foundation that we had to build upon so that we actually can provide a better customer experience. So Aaron Martin in this article was was addressing, I think, both sides. How do you ultimately, like, what's the reason for digitizing business processes and operations and customer outreach? Well, it's so that you can ultimately provide a better experience. In my mind, I think that's where he was going with it. But he was also bringing the provider's standpoint into it also saying, this is one, one big reason why clinicians are getting burnt out. It is not making anything easier for anybody, seemingly. So, and, and in a lot of ways, it, it was very forced upon them. So with all that said, 
Where do you want to go with this, Zane, in terms of what you think things could be looking like if we don't change course? Yeah, that is a really interesting question. I think one thing that I'll say that maybe to get started is I don't think there's any scenario in the next 10 to 20 years where hospitals defined as the acute care setting are going away. They're not just going to disappear like Blockbuster, that's for sure. But I do think their role in health systems, more defined as the entire continuum of care, is going to change. And so I think if hospitals, and, and I think we're going to have to be careful of our language here when we're talking about the hospital proper and the health system, which is a collection of hospitals and other other community, or sorry, other areas of community care. I think if legacy traditional health systems who are hospitals plus don't get on board with some of the things we're talking about, what we might run the risk of is seeing where the acute care piece sort of gets taken away and sort of the primary care, you know, the the health and wellness, the more upstream parts of care become their own entity or their own thing. You know, maybe they're purchased or now working in collaboration with, you know, digital innovators, be it like Amazon or Lord only knows who's going to be in the future who are excellent at the consumer experience, excellent at you know, doing all the things that we talk about. And then these folks will then broker and direct demand to another entity, almost in a very commoditized way for the acute care piece. That's sort of how I see it. So I think, you know, I think hospitals proper at risk. And, you know, what I'm noticing is, even like even on like a staffing side or on a young professional side, it seems like less and less. This is anecdotes. You know, less and less, you know, people in my network are excited about maybe climbing the ladder and becoming a hospital CEO, and now are more interested in doing things more in the ambulatory space or in the digital and innovation space because they realize that's the area that that matters more as opposed to the inpatient space that. You know, risks being a little bit commoditized. And so I, and then maybe the next thing I'll say is I, I could see, you know, maybe there's a day where there's a, a you know, new corporation comes and starts buying up hospitals. Not that we don't already see that, but with the sole purpose of hospital only and running those things super, super efficiently. And so almost like making them, not that they aren't already, but they, there's certainly huge opportunities to improve, but like super efficient factories for inpatient care that may or may not include the clinical piece. And so I could, what I could see is, you know, a group of, you know, a group coming together, purchasing hospitals and truly being the landlord. So responsible for equipment, you know, to an extent facility design and construction, you know, making sure the place is clean, the lights are running, it's safe, it's secure. And then everything else sort of flows in and out of it, be it, you know, the clinical teams, you know, maybe we're going to start brokering with, Special specialists, specialty groups, other groups. You know, maybe you know we're receiving you know demand from Amazon Care. You know, who needs places for you know some of their members now to you know get a hip replacement, things like that. I just see the hospital piece as I don't want to say losing relevance, but it's no longer like the cutting edge of what's ultimately going to drive health systems. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Healthcare marketers juggling lots to do. Gotta keep patients healthy. Coming back to you, knowing which words will lead more patients to act is not an easy feat, as a matter of fact. Competition heating up, new players on the rise. Persado has the right words already optimized. Just plug in the content, turn it on, and your campaign blues will soon be gone. (laughs) 
Persado provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized marketing messaging focused on improving health goals and business objectives. Persado's journey-based content uses the right words proven to drive conversions among the customers that matter most. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com. Healthcare is an industry where women make 80% of buying decisions and are 65% of the workforce. Yet women are notably underrepresented in industry leadership, making up approximately 30% of C-suite teams and just 13% of CEOs. The Hit Like a Girl podcast ensures that more women's voices from healthcare and health IT are heard in an effort to inform policy as well as to help more women advance within the industry. I'm the show's founder and host, Joy Rios, and I interview women leaders to amplify their work. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Health Podcast Network, or wherever you tune in. To find out more, you can follow us on social media or go to hitlikeagirlpod.com. Consumer experiences, major disruptors in AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. We're data rich, but information poor. Data without decisions is just distraction. You have to show results. That's how you build trust. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with the leaders who are driving change. And we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future within healthcare. Don't miss out. Follow Hello Healthcare. Okay, back to the flow. So yeah, so what this comes down to is not the fact that demand is going to go down. Uh, what it comes down to is which ones are profitable and operationally feasible and determined to be growth areas for hospitals in particular. So you're right, like a health system, we need to be clear and that a health system often in, includes not just the physical buildings of hospitals, but uh, ambulatory surgical centers, urgent cares, uh, all sorts of other offices and clinics and physical locations. And Having been on the inside of some business strategy planning in a health system, in a hospital, it's interesting to see how much of it does involve building more buildings. And the thing that's celebrated and lauded was, yeah, cool, we, put, we, we determined a location in a certain demographic. And the big point of the growth plan was to put another building in, another hospital, another, another ASC, whatever it is. And... I think that's interesting. I, I think if we're asking ourselves, is that is that part of the trajectory sustainable? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's worth thinking of building another hospital as the only means of growth. Because coming back to the theme of this whole, the last two seasons really, which has been consumer health and non-traditional entrants entering the space and being able to come in and chip away part of your margin, whether it's primary care or some very specialized acute care service line, but they're able to come in and chip away just part of that because it's part of their value chain. They don't care about the rest. The words continuum of care are not even in their vocabulary. They're just like, this is the part that we're going to come in and, and address. This makes sense for our customers. In other ways, we value that relationship. This is something we can easily offer. We see some, some profitability there. And I think it's part of the puzzle. I think it's one piece I just wonder how much that gets squeezed in the next two or three years. I wonder if 
administrators, if strategic planners, if CSOs in particular, as they're looking at where do they grow coming out of this pandemic purgatory? Where do they go from here? I have a feeling we're going to see more of them try to build more buildings. And I just don't know if that's the answer. Like that's, that's a very old school way of thinking, well, the way to address the new healthcare consumer is in the way we've done it for the last 200 years. I just don't see that that is the right, the right way to go. I feel like if you can latch on now and recognize there's an opportunity to disrupt yourself, you can either do it now when no one's hitting hundred percent of their pre pandemic volumes and, and revenue and, and here's your opportunity now, or you can wait a little down the road till you have been disrupted more. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to happen so slowly that it's not going to be a real clear, obvious time where everyone, like it just clicks for every CEO and CSO and, and CMO. And they all start saying, okay, now we're going to change this. We're going to, we're going to, I don't know, partner with Teladoc. We're going to put, you know, I'm just making it up, like partner with yeah. another virtual care. And we're going to integrate that better. And we're going to have more integration. We're going to really line up our data so that it makes sense across all of our platforms. And that's going to be the foundation of now we can offer a better online scheduling experience. You know, now we can truly offer you like, what's your preference? It's virtual. It's in-person. Okay, cool. We can accommodate all that. Here's it. It's easy. Let's incorporate some principles of online experience design. And I don't know, that's such a different conversation than how can we keep going back to the well in the same way, I yeah. just feel like that's, I hope the conversation changes, I guess, is ultimately sure. what I hope happens. Yeah, well, and maybe speak about changing conversation. Another thing I've been thinking about is, I'll take a step back. So through this pandemic, I think it's become very obvious that perhaps in the United States, I would say in Canada too, we don't have systems set up in a way that actually take care of the geographies in which some of these you know, institutions are actually in. And so I could see in the future hospitals, health systems, or you know, whatever, however you want to define them, actually starting to become responsible and accountable for the health of the communities in which they serve. So meaning like the physical geography, like they sort for Henry Ford Hospital. Technically, Henry Ford Hospital isn't accountable for the health of the city of Detroit. It's accountable really to you know, the health of, you know, the, the health plans for the populations of the health plans are contracted with, which is different. And so I could see it more on the political side, especially as, you know, Gen Z, you know, becomes more able to vote and push. And, you know, maybe we start to move closer to a single payer system here in the United States. I could see those accountabilities changing where we're actually going to have to start to create systems for health and wellness that take care of, those geographic populations are not just insurance code covered populations. So when you think that through, what I could see happening then is, you know, these massive mega health systems potentially, potentially starting to break up. So it's actually very difficult to have a local focus when you're, you know, trying to run a health system, you know, nationally, right, right, or regionally or super regionally across multiple states. And so I think that remains to be seen. And I think what's going to happen is you know, Americans, you know, or Michiganders, wherever you're at, will potentially be willing to sacrifice some level of efficiency and some level of integration in exchange for like local flexibility and, and the ability for these hospital systems to actually serve local needs, which may not be the same as when you zoom out nationally. 
So I think that's something that's also playing in the background that we can't forget. I know we talk on the show a lot about technology, but healthcare doesn't just exist in tech and it doesn't just exist on its own. Like it's playing in a bigger sphere and you know the changing politics and the changing values of Americans I think has to be factored in when we think about you know, what's the future of a hospital and the health system. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way before. I think that's that's an important consideration here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even by way of example, so when I used to work for you know health system in Canada, even though it's still not technically true, but it's you know, hospitals in Canada are much more aligned to the actual epidemiological needs of the physical community they're in because they're funded by the government, right? And so usually what we do when we strategic plan in Canada is we say, okay, what are what are the needs in Windsor or what are the needs in Leamington or Kingsville, which is you know the communities just across from Detroit. Then we say, how much money do we have? Therefore, what can we do about it, right? How much money is the government giving us? Where in the US, usually what happens with strategic planning is they say, you know, they start from an economic perspective and say, what are the, you know, what is the pyramid like in XYZ area? Like basically what communities by zip code almost pay the best? Then what are the needs? And then see then how might we then, you know, meet those needs and also ultimately go after their revenue. So it's a little bit backwards. And I can see those things starting to change and blend a little bit. And then not to go too far down in the weeds, but when you think about, and I don't know how much exposure you have to this during your own career, but you know, all the community benefit reporting that's required by not-for-profit health systems. Um, so basically they have to demonstrate to the government that they're doing sort of more than just delivering clinical care, they're benefiting the community so that they can keep their not-for-profit status, not pay taxes. I think that's going to be called into question, especially as so many of these not-for-profit health systems, you know, were basically given helicopter dumps of cash in COVID to do something. And I think once the dust settles around COVID, you know, people are going to come looking, the political class largely, to say, hey, what was really done with that money? And I suspect the answers aren't always going to be great, which might put them pressure on revisiting, okay, you know, all of our publicly, or sorry, all of our hospital systems that are receiving public dollars that are not paying taxes, you know, are they really delivering what we need them to do for the community? So that's another piece to this whole puzzle that I think might change. Yeah, it really is a puzzle, isn't it? Like there are different aspects of it. It comes back to experience and it comes back to how you, how safe you feel, how much you trust everything about the experience. It's all often together, like connected in a patient's mind. So yeah, the safety of the facility, in addition to the actual clinical care, was the food good at the cafeteria? I mean, it's all, it's one experience for a person at a time. So it's all connected. So if I if I kind of try to sum this up and I try to answer this question of what if hospitals continue on this trajectory? What if they don't change? I think in summary from my side, I would question their ability to continue operating in the same way because they will be addressing fewer and fewer healthcare consumers' needs and demands, which they've not been good at historically of addressing anyway in a material way compared to like the article said from Aaron Martin compared to the rest of our lives compared to the digital convenience that we're experiencing everywhere else, that gap is going to grow bigger. And so I think it might not be today, might be not, might not be tomorrow. It might not be even the current slate of consumer brands who have entered the space. It might not be Amazon or Walmart that the wins from a retail perspective. It might be some new player though. Like it might be someone flying under the radar right now, like Best Buy. Like they've clearly planted their flag in the home health area. It could be one of these connected fitness brands that you bring up often, Lululemon or Nike or like one of these, uh, 
Peloton, which Prof G uh, predicts will be acquired by the end of this year, by the way. I uh, did he say who? No, Apple. he really didn't. I think he's mentioned Apple before. He, he did make a case for that, but he's like, ah, I don't know about that. He did make a I, case for them. I wouldn't be surprised it's Amazon because they're already working together through Precore because Precore is now, like we've talked about, working with Amazon Care and Peloton bought Precore. I'm sure they're all talking yep. in the background. I mean, I would be, so. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay, so if, if you had to sum this up yeah. in terms of what, what if hospitals don't change? I would say very simply that hospitals will become order takers. And so they will basically be given, here's the demand we want you to service. Here's the price we're paying. Take it or leave it. If not, we're going down, down the street to the next inpatient provider. So I think that's the big risk here of becoming an order taker as opposed to being, you know, one of the entities that's actually defining the market and um, defining the market. Nice. I like it. Well, we'll have to do more episodes like this. We don't have a crystal ball anymore than anyone else, but we're definitely trying to keep our ears to the, to the ground and put some of these pieces together <laughs> more than they are right now. Absolutely. So yeah, maybe we can revisit this one, like in a, you know, in the future and say like, where are we yeah, close? Well, yeah. Maybe next year we need to see, we need to a, write this down or remember what we said. And then next year we visit it and see if we're even close to what we, what we discussed. For sure. Well, as always, it's it's a pleasure to talk through this stuff with you and just uh, see what we what we think. Uh, stay safe, stay well, and uh, good luck with that Roomba. My goodness, life is changing. Thank you. Later. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap.